Well, we've got our vet doctor, David Tabret. Hello to you. G'day, Dave. How Good are to you s- there? Oh, I'm fantastic. Look at you. You're like the phantom. We never really see you that often, do we? <laughs> well, just move that computer monitor over out of there I am. There you are. There I am. <laughs> there you are. And also Daniel Carrington. Hello, Daniel. Hello. Welcome back to the both of you. The original team. The there. original team. We love it. So what are we going to have a chat about today, David? Dave, uh, over the last couple of times I've been in, we've been talking about uh, vaccinations in our pets. So we're going to continue that series. Talk about kennel cough vaccination in dogs today. All right, that sounds good. So looking at vaccinations, it's an important one. And what about you? You've got a special guest for us, Daniel? Well, we, we've got a disagreement here. Dr. David Tabert and I disagree about this, but we do have a special guest. It's Jason do Pearson. Oh, and yeah. um, it's about the meerkats. They've, at the Hunter Valley Zoo, they've just received these meerkats. Yes. Fantastic. And we I love reckon meerkats. We do. You did an impersonation. I, I, I won't do, it, do it, but because oh. it's visual. and uh, <laughs> I could do it, but it'll be but dead it provides, air. You won't hear anything. No, but it provides an Hang on, I'll do it again. You ready? Yeah. Yeah, yep, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so you don't hear Dr. anything when I do that, do you? Dr. David Tabret and I disagree because <laughs> I think they would make lovely pets. He doesn't think so. We're finding out about meerkats now. You've got a special guest for us, Daniel. That's right. You love meerkats I too, do. Don't you, David. I like them. Um, on, the, on the line, we've got Jason Pearson from Hunter Valley Zoo. Hi, Jason. Yeah, Danny, how are you, mate? Good, thank you. Oh, that's we, good, mate. We've been talking a lot about meerkats here off air and before the show, and uh, wanted uh, because we want to talk to you about we meerkats. Love them. We do. Now, where did your meerkats come from? Our guys come from a park called Zudu in Tasmania. Okay. Um, he brought a group in from overseas himself. Yes. And has bred a couple of litters there and was really keen to include us in the breeding program for these guys, which we're super excited about. And where would they originally uh, come from? These guys would have come out of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Australia has a pretty strong standard that uh, animals have to be captive bred, and that's where it's a little bit scratchy coming direct mm-hmm. out of uh, Africa. So these animals make their way into the European market, uh, into other zoos, and from uh, there any offspring are allowed to come into Australia via import. But they are native to, to Africa? And they have to the Kalahari Desert in, okay. in Africa. Really cool species. Uh, I mean, about half the size of a domestic cat. Yes. But they have the tenacity and courage of a grizzly bear. They are really super cool. What do critters. they eat? What do they eat? In, in the wild, they'll eat scorpions, which are the, the Kalahari scorpion is way bigger than the palm of our hand. Mm. And they'll ta- tackle uh, snakes, lizards, and they'll even eat roots and, and small berries that they happen to fall on the ground as well. Here in, here in captivity, we give them a mince, Chopped up vegetables, broccoli, grapes, and then they have a treat a couple of times a day in the way of mealworms and crickets, which they love. Are they social? Do they bite you? Will they have a no, go at you? they're great with us. Though. They've linked us to food. They certainly, if they get overexcited when they see a cricket, uh, they might take a bit of a lunch board and get a hold of the fingertips, and they've got needle-sharp teeth, but it's not deliberate. Uh, we're actually doing encounters here at the zoo uh, with the general public, the, the people who want to pay the, to come through and sit in with the meerkats and uh, get their pictures, which is a pretty cool experience. Socially amongst themselves, they're a different kettle of fish. They have run by a hierarchy of a dominant female, and she rules the roost. Okay. And she's the only female that produces young ones within that group. She suppresses the other females from falling pregnant sheerly by dominance. And uh, with that, that she secures herself a whole heap of babysitters. So one pair breed, have a litter, have a, a really awesome social structure in the fact that the lower animals become sentries, so they're the ones that are up on top of the perches, which people are familiar with. With the meerkat manor, where you've got a meerkat standing up on his back legs, looking around up on a branch. Those guys are doing a pretty important job. They're sentry duty, so they're looking out for birds of prey, snakes on the ground, predators and stuff like that. 
that might uh, hurt the, the troop. And they're even complex enough to have different calls to whether or not there's something that they've got to be careful of from the air or from the ground. So wow. when the sentry lets out a call, the group knows whether to look up or whether to look down. So you have all these meerkats, they look up when they hear this call, or they look down, do they? And with our guys here, they uh, come from a little bit out of Hobart, directly here with where we are here at Cessnock, we're not too far from the airport. So the first week, they thought they were seeing the biggest hawks they've ever seen in their life in the form of little planes flying over the zoo quite regularly. But they let out a bit of alarm call and they dash into the box. They're quite used to it now, and... Uh, but prior to that, they thought that was the biggest eagles they'd ever seen in their life. So uh, I was just talking with da- Dr. David Tabret here uh, off air, saying, "Wouldn't that be a great pet?" And he said, "No, I don't think you can you can call them a pet." <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. So I mean, they are kept in Europe apparently, but their social structure is so important to them mm. that uh, and quite savage. If if a dominant female wants if another female wants to take over another dominant one, then it's down to brutality. They're quite mm. quite brutal when it comes to that social structure. But there has to be to keep that sort of order. And, and with, with securing those dozen babysitters, that female has a lot more success in raising that litter. They'll put their life on the line. Like if, if a, a babysitter is on duty with a little litter of bubs too far away from the tunnel or burrow to retreat when the alarm call goes off, that, that babysitter will actually lie over the top of the babies to protect them from a predator. Wow. How many babies do they have in a litter? An average of four. Four. But your, um, your staff obviously go into the pen there, and as you say, they're feeding them. So they're, they're obviously not extremely vicious to, to humans. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. These guys link us to food, really social uh, structure within the group, so they include you in that when, especially when you've got crickets or mealworms. They love you. Yeah. Are, they, are they much different to a ferret? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say more predictable than a ferret. I've had ferrets when I was a young kid and got bitten by ferrets a lot more than, than what I've had so far with the meerkats. Their closest relative is the mongoose, so they're similar to in that sort of behaviour, but uh, if, if you know, they know the boundaries and, and we're teaching them from scratch, these are only six months old, the, the four that we have here at the moment, so we're teaching them the boundaries and what they can and can't do, and, uh, and you're going to get the odd nip here or there, but they really are quite social. Can they take on snakes like mongoose? They do. They've been known in the wild to, to stand up in a, in a big, wide fr- uh, front and, and to scare away snakes from their, their tunnels and burrows. They must be pretty quick when they go hunting for their food. Really good, and they're tenacious. So they'll grab a hold of scorpions, they dig. The guys here now, I'm standing there watching our four now, and they do not stop for the whole daylight hours that they're on the go and out on display, continually digging. What happens dig, if dig, they dig. get bitten by a scorpion? By a scorpion, they're immune to their venom. Oh, which wow. Which is okay. amazing. Yeah, amazing. So the venom that, uh, from an animal scorpion that weight-wise probably be a quarter of their body weight because they're only a small animal. Um, and uh, punch quite a pack with their venom, but they're immune to it altogether. Now, um, Jason, where are you located um, if if people do want to come and see them? We're just outside Cessnock. So between Cessnock and Brankston, with the new Hunter Expressway now, we're only 45, 50 minutes from Newcastle, and you come out and have a great day out. And we do a meerkat feed at quarter past one every day, except Wednesdays when we're closed. But quarter past one, we do a daily feed on our meerkats, and people can learn a bit about them, see these guys in action, cruising around, chasing crickets and mealworms, and enjoy their day. Excellent. Thank you very much for your help. No worries, mate. Thank you. Have a great day. Bit of fun there. We found out about meerkats, meerkats didn't we? Well yes. done. And we should get Jason on more often. He's we good, should. isn't he? Yeah. He's, He's fantastic. Other and good they, animals have, there. they have lots of different animals there. That's right. Easy listening to and you are FM 103.7 Pet Chat for a Wednesday afternoon. And our vet, Dr. David Tabret, is here. Joining us now from Cold Point is Jeffrey. G'day, Jeffrey. Hello. How are you guys? Oh, we're good. Yes. What can we do for you? Well, I've got a problem with fleas on dogs. We've got two dogs. 
Yes. And I've sprayed the, under the house, I've sprayed around the house, I've sprayed the lawn three times. Yes. And these dogs still get fleas, and we've washed them with disinfectants, flea stuff and everything, and they're still getting fleas. It's a lot of hard work, isn't it? <laughs> I've never seen it like this this year. You always feel like you're trying to hold back the, the power of all these fleas, and that's actually one of the keys to how we approach this problem. We've, we've gone from the strategies that you've been using, which I think um, do still play a role, but the, mm. the problem is exactly what you've found, is that yep. it, the, there's this never-ending tidal wave. And we've had, you know, up until this week, it's been relatively warm, so we've had ideal breeding conditions for fleas. We're going to yep. have a very late flea season, and we're still going to see a number of flea populations surging over the next sort of three to four weeks, maybe up okay. to six weeks, even if we do get a cold snap. Because, um, you know, as the uh, pupa and the eggs and so on go through their life cycle, the fleas will hatch. Now, what actually happens is, though, the pupa, which is like a little cocoon, and indeed the eggs can almost hibernate. uh, That's not the correct term, but they get suspended over the colder weather. So that come sort of September, as it starts to warm up, you get this big resurgence. And what what that means is that as we go into the winter... If we don't get some sort of control happening, and it's sort of getting late in the season, really, but at least we can put some things in place, uh, you're going to have bigger problems come next year. So here's the thing. Every single flea needs to, uh, the female needs to have a blood meal off your dog before they lay eggs, right? They they don't just spring out of the soil. That's where the eggs are uh, fallen off the dog, um, and subsequently they come from there, but... To lay the eggs, they need a blood meal, which means that if we have an effective killing strategy that is on your dog when the, when the fleas are feeding, we're going to be able to get control. Now, the good thing about that is that the technology that we've got in terms of parasite control has expanded astronomically. And, you know, even now we're at the stage where we've got products that can basically control and, and kill off the egg stage, the larva, the pupa, and the adult and also come as a monthly tablet. Um, and one I'm thinking of is Comfortus is a really good product. But a lot of people find if you're using that, sometimes you need to use a secondary product. Um, and there's, you know, things like top spots and so on. And some some of these combine in with worm control, tick control, flea control. So it's worth talking to your vet about what's going to be the best combination but I really like the idea of a monthly control that get, hits everything. And that way you don't have to go around spraying the yard because what you're doing is you're treating the one place in your house where the, you know the fleas will always come back to, and that is the pet. So if you're treating the pet appropriately, and as I said, I'd be using something like uh, a once a month either spot on, say, Frontline or uh, um, Revolution or Advantix or also a monthly tablet like Comfortus, they're going to be your best product and then you don't have to waste all this time and effort spraying the yard so much because you'll get much better control. With our vet, Dr David Tabret, and the importance of vaccination, David. Yeah, Dave, the uh, last couple of times we've been talking about, first of all, uh, distemper virus and which was following an outbreak of that very rare disease. We've also talked about parvovirus. And the third vaccination we want to talk about for dogs is kennel cough. Now... 
interestingly, this one is always a bit of a contentious subject, and it's sort of it's good just to spend a few minutes talking about the nature of the disease because then it informs us on why vaccination is important and what to do if your pet might come across it. So kennel cough is actually, to give it its correct name, is canine infectious tracheobronchitis. So first of all, canine, it's in dogs, infectious. Uh, well, it's going to be an organism that's spreading from animal to animal. And tracheobronchitis means inflammation of the large airways. And so that's really spelling out the picture of what this disease is. The critical thing I think that occurs is that the actual cause is not one single organism. There's a number of organisms involved. And so let's just quickly run through those. There's a parainfluenza virus. There's um, an adenovirus. Um, most of those two components of this disease complex are less common. But the more common organism we tend to see is a uh, bacteria called Bordetella. Now, Bordetella pertussis in humans is known as whooping cough. Okay, so... You know, there's this respiratory component that we see with this bacteria. In dogs, uh, it's the the specific bacteria is called Bordetella bronchoseptica. So it's not the same, but the picture that emerges and the way that the pets go through this disease is very similar to what we see uh, with um, people with whooping cough. And we know how important vaccination is in the human population to reduce the incidence and the frequency and the severity of that disease. Similarly with dogs. So when we actually vaccinate, we're providing a vaccine that is giving us cover against Bordetella, and that is the main infectious agent. We're also, as it turns out, we can vaccinate against parainfluenza. We also have a vaccine against the adenovirus, and that's included when we get our pets vaccinated. So those three things are all wrapped up. Uh, there is some thoughts also around another organism called a mycoplasma. We don't have vaccines against that. Um, and we're not quite sure about the full role that it plays, but it certainly seems to be that the initiation of the disease is parainfluenza and bordetella. And that's also the clue. We know that, for instance, whooping cough is spread by droplet when it's coughed out, and it's the same with uh, kennel cough. And the, uh, I guess the, um, the common name of kennel cough uh, gives us that clue. It's more likely to occur when you put dogs together. So it doesn't have to be kennels. It could be you're walking your dog down the street. It could be that you've got two dogs in neighbouring yards. It could be that you take your dog to the beach. If they come in contact with another dog that coughs or sneezes or is spreading the disease in that way, then they can certainly get infected and it attacks their upper respiratory system. All right. Very important one. Now, another call for you. You ready for this? Joining us now from Clarence Town is Kate. Good morning. Oh, afternoon. Hi, Kate. Good afternoon, how are you? Yes, good, thank you. Um, I have a Staffy, and he's a, a fairly old dog now, he's almost 13, but just the last couple of months he's just itchy, really, really itchy, and no matter what I seem to do, I can't get him to stop. He chews his paws and his legs and he scratches up under his belly and drags himself along the ground a lot mm. to scratch his tummy as well. And is this, uh, you said, just over the last few months? It has. It sometimes, um, usually when we get a change in the grasses, it affects yep. his paws and, and they just get pretty pink and, and uncomfortable and I can treat those and clean those up and that's not a problem. But this is just ongoing and his paws aren't even that pink anymore. But he's still just... And I use an oatmeal shampoo on him, like a very gentle one. Excellent, yeah. But I can't seem to stop. I've even used an antiseptic, the pink spray on him, 
when he actually tore his skin a little bit where he was scratching and that hasn't mm. taken mm. up any of it either. And he doesn't have fleas or anything like that. And what about oral medication? Have you used anything for his uh, controlling this itch? No, I haven't. Okay. It's, uh, you've, I think you hit the nail, though, saying about with the grass changing because that's probably the clue. And the interesting thing is that why hasn't he had a problem before is that it's actually uh, been repeated exposure to these seasonal grasses, he's developed an allergy. So the clue for me was as soon as you said that it was his paws and his underside, his belly and so on, it wasn't up on his back and so on, it was underneath. And that's what we see typically with a contact allergen. So we can develop allergies to a lot of different things, whether we breathe them in, eat them or contact, and that's the most likely uh, then we'll get uh, the immune system overreacting. And even if, as you said, the pores aren't uh, pink, probably that's the area that the allergen is getting into his body and then it's still causing inflammation in other areas. So, look, the um, regular bathing with the oatmeal shampoo is absolutely critical for this sort of thing, but it's getting to the stage where I think you do need to seek some medication. And the ones I really like in this case would be an antihistamine or in some cases um, also adding in a short uh, treatment course of a prednisolone or dexamethasone to control the severity of the itching but longer term it's really combining all of those things and um, I know that it's difficult you know to reduce the exposure so what we're really about is trying to manage the um, the the amount of reaction in the body there is actually longer term might be worth looking into and you'd need to talk to your vet is about seeking allergy vaccines and that's probably an area that's worth looking into but maybe not for this season but just see what happens and i think if you talk to your vet about some antihistamines for the moment because they need to be prescribed that's going to give you the best control Pet Chat today, we're talking about vaccinations. I think you've got one more thing to share with us today, Dr. David Tabret. So I was running through the disease, how they can get it. That's coughing and so on. I'm obviously talking about vaccinations. So we do know, and there's been a lot of talk about three yearly vaccinations, getting your dog vaccinated less frequently uh, because some of these, um, the protection from the vaccine lasts a bit longer. However, kennel cough is a bit different and that we really need to be um, looking at a, um, 12 monthly vaccination schedule for your dog if you're going to vaccinate them for kennel cough and in some instances if they're going frequently say back into boarding kennels or something then you may even need to vaccinate more than that uh, but certainly 12 monthly so just be aware that when in discussing some of these things with your uh, pet's doctor that um, you know they're looking out for their best health and if that means six monthly or 12 monthly vaccination that's the best scenario. We've got another call for you now June joins us from Swansea Hi, June. What can we do for you? Uh, who am I speaking to? Uh, David? Yes, hi. Um, hi. Um, look, uh, I was listening into your program last week and there was a gentleman that rang up that had a problem with uh, uh, urine with his dog in, the, um, in his house. He sort of go, goes back to the one spot all the time. Yes, right. yeah. And there was a product that was mentioned on the, uh, on the program. I was just wondering if you might be able to the name of that product. Yeah, Danny's we, probably best to answer that. Yeah, it was Dr. Kim that was on the show last week with, with me. And what we were talking about was 
in terms of uh, behavioural training, first of all, um, she also suggested that a checkup was done by a vet for the dog to see if there was a, a case of a maybe diabetes or anything like that. But um, the product to clean um, and get rid of the urine smell from any floors is called urine off. And the reason why I suggested that is, is that when a, a dog gets into a habit of, of peeing somewhere that where they shouldn't, even though after you've cleaned it with disinfectant, while we can't smell it, they can because their nose is a thousand times stronger than ours. So they will go back to that area and may toilet there again. So if you use a product like Uranoff, which has got all these natural enzymes that then break down the urine smell, even the dog won't be able to smell it. So that's the idea. It's also a stain remover as well. That's right, instead of the disinfectant, yes. Yeah, because mm. uh, I didn't know he, uh, he went out in the, in the uh, ki- kitchen the other night and I, I went out and I slipped out. I had a nasty fall and knocked the garbage over and everything. Oh, okay. So with with the floor that uh, this this was um, the urine was on was that on a like a timber floor or was it on vinyl or carpet? It was on a vinyl. Vinyl. Uh, vinyl. Yep. Well, this product works on all those floor types, so it's 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 and fine for any most, of those floor types. Most pet stores would probably be able to stock that as well. That's right. You'll find it in pet stores. Yes. Yep. All right. Good nice. luck with that. We hope that helps. From Waratah, now we've got Richard with us. G'day, Richard. Oh, hi, Doctor Dave. Um, you mentioned uh, when you were speaking about the uh, flea problem for that gentleman the other uh, earlier on yep. that there was a backup product that you use with Comfortus, and I missed the name of it. Oh, there's a number of um, products that uh, we would consider using, um, and any of the sort of I like the monthly spot-on type control. So uh, some people like Frontline, Revolution, Advantix. Uh, there's a whole range of them, and I think it really is, to some extent, what your experience is with those, personal experience. The other thing is that if we go back 15 or 20 years, we had to be a lot more careful in that some of the products had toxicity against our pets. Yes. And when we started to combine them, we had to be really careful. We right. s- We still need to pay attention to that, but these newer products that we're seeing, a lot safer, a lot less risk of toxicity, so we can step into using, say, two products together. Uh, okay, so if we use the comforters and um, if we see um, the animals scratching, um, would you say like a Capstar? Well, Capstar can be useful, but I find that particularly if you're moving a pet from into a new environment. And so Capstar works for about 24 hours, and it would have to be the most effective uh, flea kill that you've ever seen. Literally, they're just falling off. But the problem is that it only lasts for 24 hours. So it can be very useful, uh, but it, it's a very expensive way to control fleas if you were sort of dosing them up the, more I regularly. find with the Capstar, if you were to use a Capstar in that particular situation, once every fortnight, and it just provides an extra boost. Bit of a, a kick. A kick yeah. to it. And it really is, as, as Dr. David Tabret says, uh, you see them literally fall off within 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it must be time for Pet Rescue Pet of the Week, and it's Shadow. 
It is Shadow because he bounces. Welcome along, Sarah Farley Adams. So Shadow's not a dog. It's not. It's a cat. Pussycat. Shadow is a pussycat. And wouldn't you say he is a gorgeous specimen of a cat? Have a look at that, Dave. Everyone can have a look on our website. You know know the musical cat? What's he he doing with that one there? What's going on there? He's spooning. Shadow can actually spoon another cat, (laughs) which is just adorable. David Tubbett's having a giggle at me. But he is absolutely spooning. Wonderful. Yeah, so please go. You can see that picture too, folks. You know, you know the musical cats. Yes. You know how they have the 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 cat head with the yellow eyes. Yes. That's exactly what he looks like. He does. He looks like yellow eyes and black cat. Yeah, like a bit of a panther. But Mm. let's let's find out about Shadow. He's five months old. He's very slender. He's in good shape. He is a male kitten, and as we've mentioned, he does have a stunning, shining black coat. And as his name suggests, he does like to pounce. In the dark. No, I think that's a bit of a joke. Uh, he's actually quite cat during the day, and he does use a lot of his energy, though, to play at night. So he likes a good play before bed. This boy is a little timid to begin with, but once he warms up, he's extremely comfortable, um, and there's no stopping him. He is loves he black to play. all over? Doesn't have any white patches at all? No, the white is coming from the cat he's spooning, Dave. <laughs> put, your, put your glasses on, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They do kind of mesh in. Um, so, look, he gets along really well with other cats and dogs. He's very friendly. Uh, he would love a bit of company, and he does love a scratch on the back and under the chin. He is an absolute pleasure, and he's quite low maintenance, so he'd make the perfect addition to any family. So if you would like or you've been looking for a new addition and a little kitty cat, then I do recommend Shadow, and you can get all the information. Has he been dissexed? <laughs> yes, yes. Look, that's a good question, Dave, because all of our cats and dogs that Nothing we do that, he's been that we do adopt out uh, from Dog Rescue Newcastle are dissexed. They all are. We will make sure that they mm. are all dissexed because that's responsible. Um, so, yeah, look, please head to our website, click on programs, and then you can find Pet Chat. Or you can always call Anita from Dog Rescue, and her number is zero four double zero one zero seven six zero three. Now I've been out of the uh, the loop for a couple of weeks, but how did we go with your relocated dog? Uh, Everything good there? Yes. Well, Scamp, who's now Joey, has uh, been gone. Last Monday, I dropped him off, and. Um, Beautiful home. I'm in contact daily with with yeah. Wendy, his new mum, and I cried Ooh, literally yeah. for a week. I'm not okay. I can't even. T- I miss him. Oh. I can't talk about it yet. But he's he's happy and he's being well loved, and I'm I miss him. But there's still Gizmo. We love Gizmo. Oh yeah, still got my son. Oh, <laughs> still got. She Gizmo. sort of threw that remark off. Poor old Gizmo. No, Gizmo's gorgeous. He just misses trade. his friend. We need another visit in here, the studio from Gizmo. Well, I I'm, I'm due for another uh, foster dog. At some point, so I'll have a new a new puppy or dog to bring in. Would you like to go like for like, a bigger size dog oh, if that was opportunity? Not a white marana, Yeah, I I did fall in love with with break. them when you brought They're them pretentious in. Pretentious animal. Got to keep a small dog for Gizmo, I think. Got to think dog. of my little man. Yeah, yeah. good idea. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show today. Go Shadow. We hope yeah. Shadow goes well. Check him out. He's beautiful. Have he a look really at the two on your RFM website. You can see those pictures and all the details you need to know. Well done, Sarah Farley Adams. Back with us next week again. Now we're back. Back with our, our vet, Dr. David Tabret here. Before we go too far, Danny, anything, or Daniel, anything you'd like to share with us about uh, any activities coming up this week? Any dog shows or anything? Nothing, nothing this week at the moment, Dave. So it's a little bit boring on the doggy front, isn't it? Oh, I think they had. Uh, they, I thought I saw them all there at the grounds. That last was last weekend. weekend. Yeah, yes, when last we drove weekend. Past, That's right. That. Yep. Yeah. So there's plenty of activity there. That's still very good. Uh, what about uh, David? Anything else you'd like to share with us? Um, well, the 
we'll be following up with our vaccination series uh, because we're going to start talking about vaccinating um, cats next time we're on. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. We won't forget our cats, obviously, because Sarah's been talking about dog rescue and also cat rescue. So we better talk to people about cat vaccinations. And there's plenty to cover there. Lots of good information. I'd like to find out in the next few weeks if we could do something about cockatiels. Uh, they're a very popular bird. We, don't okay, we, might, we might want to talk to Dr. a Kimberley. breeder of cockatiels. What do you Is think? that what you're saying? They're very popular, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, uh, I'll send a message to Dr. Kimberley. Okay. Um, that'll yeah. be up her alley. Be and when she's on next... We can talk cockatiels. They make a great, great little pets. There's a, oh, they're, they're just can, the right size. They can talk. They're yes. very social, aren't they? And they're the right size for for smaller family members and kids. Yeah, and also adults, of course. So. And, and they're another interesting one in that the male is prettier than the female. Isn't that right, David? Well, like most. <laughs> <laughs> Except there's a name for that, isn't there? What's the word? Pretentious. No, no, there's a problem. No, word. it's um, you wouldn't know. Dimor- Six years of study, you dimorphism know. is the that's word, it. Yeah, see, Kimberly told me that yes. she knew she did oh. her study. Yeah. Were you were you just quizzing me? I you was were testing just, you out. There, you were yeah. testing me. There was a I was, word. Uh, can I just quickly interlude and say is that um, except in this room, where the <laughs> oh. females are prettier than the males, even collectively, the three of us put together. <laughs> don't what do you want? <laughs> Actually, where where that is also um, really interesting is looking at male and female gullions, hey? and finches. What are when, they? Talk, when you're talking oh, about yeah, when you're talking about uh, the males being prettier than the females, uh, it's quite interesting because they've got so much vibrant colours well, and they're yeah. bright, and the detail in their feathering is incredible. Especially, and of course, Dave, you would know that the uh, very famous species of bird in uh, northern Queensland and Papua New Guinea that is so different between the male and female species that they were actually thought, uh, sorry, not male and female gender within the species. They were actually thought to be different mm. species of birds. And, of course, that bird was, Dave? A pigeon? The Eclectus <laughs> parrot. Oh, well done. I've got a pigeon story. Can I share it oh, with you? Oh, boy. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do. You've got to help me out here. I've got a pigeon. Okay, and in our garage, he's sitting on the uh, little stoop near the window. Just keeps every night he turns up, yes. and he's there. Mm. He stays there all night. Is uh, on the outside, he's on the outside, on a little stoop yeah. there outside yeah. the window. He just Very sits there smart. every night. Very smart pigeon. Is that undercover? Well, why, why does he go away all day? Well, yeah, exactly. it's undercover. He's, he's protected, he's finding, but he's on his own, finding somewhere to roost. Well, he's well. We've had to get rid of him. We've had to move him on <laughs> because he was leaving a mess there. Oh, horrible mess! <laughs> My wife found it horrible trying to clean that off. So she's put some uh, some little uh, plants up there. Some plants. Oh, okay. So there's no oh, room for him. Okay. Kind, no room on the stoop anymore kind, for him. Kindly re rehome the. Pigeon. So if he comes in to flop flap, there won't be anywhere to land. Fair enough. Fair enough. He but, did it himself, making such a horrible mess, you know. Yeah. But why was he doing that? Why would he come there every... Well, there's a couple of things, and one is obviously protection from the weather, but the other important thing is uh, protection from predators. Ah. So a bird's only defence really is to fly, but at, they need to rest Wrong as place. well. You must move on from there. And we've got to be aware that cats, um, we are talking about Shadow, who doesn't go out at night, but cats do uh, like to hunt at night, and they're indiscriminate in many cases. So... Staying up nice and high, somewhere where he can get away. Let's hope, Dave, that since you've rehomed him, that he's actually found a. That'll safe do me. Place. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's our pet chat today. Goodbye, goodbye, Dave. It's back again next week at two in your RFM one hundred three point seven.